Hello, I'm Jensen Beeler. And I'm Quentin Wilson. And together we are the Two Enthusiast Podcast. Two Enthusiast Podcast. The only motorcycle podcast with all the minor jokes. So you're not laughing this time. It's not funny. It's not funny the second time around, Quentin. B minor. B minor. Tell, tell everyone what happened. Jensen started to record, but on the mic on his little device, not on the mics that are in front of our faces. So we just got 30 minutes into a podcast. <laughs> And now you have to adjust the crap out of your mic. What now happened? I just broke the mic stand. Did you really? This is not a good day. This is. I think it's stripped. I wouldn't doubt if it is. They're not the uh, most robust of things. Stripper. Please tell me we're not going to have to start again. No. No, we're just we're, we're going to play through. It's like we're, golf. We're just playing through. <laughs> we, already, we already recorded like half an hour of a show. So we're just, whatever happens at this point happens. Yeah, we just have to. If he dies, it. he dies. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I just watched Rocky Four for for reasons in my social circle. Really? It'll make perfect sense, but but for our listeners, you had to watch no Rocky Four. That's the Russian one, right? Yeah, it's where Rocky goes and beats the Russians. Huh? Huh? Yeah. Huh? Interesting. What's the uh, main dude's name? I forget his name. Drago. <laughs> I must break you. Doesn't he kill? Um, he kills Lando he, Calrissian. He, yeah, he kills. It's not Lando Calrissian, is it? No, it isn't. It's um, it's Carl Weathers. Oh yeah, from um, but he's Paul Creed. Yeah, he's yeah. in Arrested Development, among other things. He's in Predator. He's in Predator. He the was main like one. the go-to African American actor for action movies in yeah. like the early nineties. Carl 90s. Weathers. Carl Weathers. Yeah, he's awesome. It's really brutal, but if you have, if you can watch the original, uh, the original Predator, it's it's an amazing. It's probably a top five, maybe top ten movie for me. Um, it's on HBO right now. Is it really? Yeah. It's a really good movie. And he's good in it. I like him. I think all the acting is strangely good. Even if it's like kind of get to the choppa bullshit. Get to the choppa. But it's pretty good. I you like one ugly motherfucker. I think it's a well-acted movie. It's everything about that movie is awesome. <laughs> Wait, back that up. You think it's a well-acted movie? Uh-huh. And the whole thing. Every part of it. The, pl- the, the dialogue is superb. Yeah, that I'll say. It's cheesy, but it's superbly <laughs> awesome. It's got Jesse Ventura in it. Uh-huh. And other people. If it bleeds, we can kill it. Something like that. I forget his exact quote. <laughs> Predator, Predator is a good movie. I'm not I'm not going to try and like deny that. But I don't think it won any awards. Like, I don't think the Academy appreciated it, it, it as much as you I did. I could give a shit about the Academy. <laughs> if something wins an award in the Academy, oh, whoopee fucking do. Yeah, good good time. So anyway, Carl Weathers in... This movie that you just watched, Rocky Four. Rocky. One of the best parts of that, I think, is when he gets into his Lamborghini and drives in a black Lamborghini. Isn't that Rocky Four where he's? You got Lamborghini. He's cruising around. It's yeah. in a. It's a silhouette. It's a really rad car. It's a based off a of Jalpa. Really neat and and really rare. Like you wouldn't normally see a car like that. Usually at that era would be like a Testarossa or something. So because he's all heart. You know, You're all heart rock. It. You're all right. heart. It's a good movie. I think I in that good. in that era. Uh, the Italians, the, they're the, the, the presumption was that it was a very gold chainy type of car. The the Lambos were always like, you know, got to throw throw on the thick. It's the gold poor man's chains. Ferrari, yeah. <laughs> well, I don't I mean, know if it's poor. No, because got that, gold chains, no, man. That, that's literally how Lambo got its start, though. It was like, oh, Ferrari, yeah, we can make those. Yeah, that, that's not a big deal. So the track dude, tractor man was just like. Now there's, there's way more to that, but yeah, he was basically that like, that is like, I wouldn't say this is a Diet Coke version of that it story. Is that's, the the R- that's the RC Cola version of that story, but yeah. that's more or less what it was, was, you know, Mr. Lamborghini was like, huh, 
How are you guys are making those? Oh, we can do that. Yeah. We're making tractors right now, but it's pretty much the same thing. His his birthday is the day after mine. Ferruccio. Good old Ferruccio. There's a great picture of him on one of his big ass fucking tractors with a mirror on one side and a Countach on the other down the bottom. That's just such a cool photo. It was like the ultimate like gearhead fantasy photo. If you could create something and there you are, the only thing that would make it better is if you had a motorcycle company, you know. Anyway, so you're watching Rocky Four. I can't wait to hear that I wa- story. I watched off. Rocky Four, and then I watched about four episodes of The Americans. So it was on a little bit of a theme. Ah, uh, okay. I don't know anything about The Americans, but I was oh, assuming it has something to do oh, with really good. You gotta watch Russian the spies and shit. It's, it's um, yeah. So it's 1980s. So it's got a little bit of nostalgia throwback thing yeah, that sure. the Cold War people are doing right now. But it's Cold War. These Russian spies are trained to basically assimilate as Americans. They speak perfect American English. They're the perfect American family, yep. husband, wife, two kids, boy and a girl. Yeah. And they assimilate into American lifestyle. And then they end up doing, you know, espionage sure. assignments here. And then their neighbor across the street turns out to be an FBI agent who's part of the counter intelligence division. And hilarity it's ensues. Good. Hilarity I'm ensues. Sure. It's sure. fun for the whole family. Okay. All right. But it's good times. Okay. It's really interesting how two different (laughs) sit-downs of this podcast, we can go in so many different directions, depending on what what time it is, right? We could do a whole exhibition of just doing the same show for like a whole month (laughs) just to see where it takes us. Because I think, I truly Quentin, it would be entertaining. Uh You laugh, but like that could be like our April for next year. April Fool's is that we're going to start the same one podcast and see what happens. (laughs) All right. So Quentin, what did you do? <laughs> what did you do this weekend? Tell me all about it because I, I have no idea. Uh-huh. I raced the Boulder Oregon, which is the Sangfoid Riding Club's 6-hour endurance race at a go-kart track in McMinnville, Oregon, which, which is, is where I do my super motoing. Yep, and it's yep. an hour south of uh hour south of Portland. And it's a fairly fast, really well-done kart track. A lot of kart tracks are tight and they are basically good for carts but it's a good track even even yeah. a, a good 125 shifter can outgrow a lot of the cart tracks that i've been on in my day i start i cut my teeth racing motorcycles wiser 50s on car tracks so i know a bunch down in the southern california era area and i would say riding and this is why i rode a ninja 250 uh this weekend and riding a bike of that size, which is still a full-size motorcycle, really, yeah. normally wouldn't be doable. But this track, it was actually great. It works perfect. And it's one of those tracks, we run it both ways, and you guys for the race run it both ways. Yep. Um, but it's one of those tracks where I think not only does circulating it in both directions offer something different. Yeah. But it also kind of it flows both ways. It does. It's bizarre. It's a yeah. really good track. That layout. Is, I've run some tracks backwards, and you're like, ooh, yeah, no, ooh, doubt. things get a little dangerous. Things get a little sketchy. And there's a couple parts of that that are that way in there, but I don't know. I love it. It's great. So I did it two years ago with the Flying Fifteen Motorcycle Club with a CR250, two stroke, 1979. I think we told the story, which on the we show. told the story yeah. in the on the podcast. I wish we could read, uh, uh, say which one it was. Episode 27. <laughs> Just throwing uh, it out there. Why not? Uh, I don't like the number 27. So that... Because it's Casey Stoner, <laughs> the, the greatest motorcycle racer of all time. So I... The Australian Stallion. Uh, <laughs> that's from the Rocky. <laughs> Get it? That's went full circle. Oh, uh, that's awesome. All I right. have deep recall. I may not be good with the recorder, <laughs> but I got a deep recall. 
And we were talking about Arnold Schwarzenegger films, so Total Recall, right? Oh, man, it's all over the place. All right, so I a couple months ago, I go and help our friend Christian out at uh, Anoma Race. I am watching everybody around us. One of our other friends, Hannah Johnson, who is one of the riders that was in our uh, Superbike Deathmatch, and she is uh, rad and uh, fast and uh, technically um, awesome because she works for a Ferrari race team as a technician. So I see her racing a Ninja 250s. Just, just interject. So I did a quick little Google. It's episode 25, so it wasn't too far off. Oh, nice. Guess wow. what the title was. No, you're gonna, like, you're gonna like this. Uh, it's the Murdidly Erdler show. <laughs> is it really the Murdidly yeah, Erdler? Erdler. <laughs> it's one of my favorite. We talked things. about we talked about vertical scope getting hacked. We talked about uh, Australians trying to organize their own road race. Australian stallions. We talked about the Husqvarna Supermoto, the FS450. Huh. Okay. And then we talked about your uh, coconut water hack racing thing. Yeah. So in that situation, I guess I'm gonna. We're going to be jumping all over the place, even whatever. Welcome to the danger zone. Yeah, this yeah. is the danger zone. So in that race, I raced with two other people, 45-minute stints, very gnarly, vibrate drum brakes, essentially no brakes. Can you just call it a piece of shit? And be it done was with horrible. It? it was a bag of smashed assholes. It was horrible. But it was awesome. And I would buy one any day. If somebody had a nice CR250, not, not even nice, a decent CR250R that ran from 1979, I would race that in vintage motocross any day of the week because it worked so well. And it blew apart the exhaust and we fixed it with coconut water can because I think coconut water cans are steel and not aluminum and Mountain Dew blew right off with no question. Because Mountain Dew is for the body, not for the machine. Yeah. yeah. We talked about this earlier recording. We got to go through right it there. all, right? But the coconut water worked. Didn't have a coconut water can with us this time. Didn't eat it. Thank God. Um, do you so, think maybe you should have that in the toolbox? I, I do actually for hydration and for you know mechanical it's, purposes. It's, it's a dual purpose thing. So it's I probably think, lubricant. <laughs> it's probably like baby tears. It probably lubes really well. <laughs> so, ugh. so um, we also missed on the previous recording the whole yeah. Scott's Euler catheter thing. Yeah. So I'm bringing it back. Bring that. <laughs> I back. know, and I'm just trying to remember how we even got there. <laughs> Jen, Jensen talking about uh, being in a, having a suit with water. That was well, right. I was saying if you were really committed to your endurance racing, you'd, you'd, you'd have, have a catheter, catheter set up. Sure. And, and it would just drain straight to the chain right? like a Scott's oil. And I said that he needed to have that and make sure to have a lot of asparagus the night before so that if it hit the chain and sprayed up on other riders, it would be <laughs> a waft, kind of an aromatic <laughs> essence of bar- Jensen. Bar- are we barbecuing? <laughs> barbecuing some vegetables? <laughs> Okay, so anyway, Moving on. go to the track, see Hannah racing a Ninja 250, and I'm like, Ninja, please, that's awesome. I want to do that. So I talked to Hannah about it, and Hannah's doing well, like right off the bat, and she's on like this bagged out, beat to crap, old Ninja 250 with- Careful, that's, that's, a, that's a friend of the shows. Oh my gosh, it's Crystals, isn't it's it? It's Crystals, yeah. <laughs> and it's like down four horsepower, and it's all gnarly, and yeah. she's having a blast on it. So I figured, you know what, if Hannah- who is like very small and perfect for sized for that bike in general in a racing scenario. I, I bet I could get on one and just kind of be like McGill gorilla style on one and have some fun. And it's just not as expensive and gnarly, right? What? You're good. Oh, oh God. I'm now I'm scared. Now you got me scared. He's looking at his watch. He looks down. I'm worried that the recorder's not. Well, going. we've run late now. So now we're into my my social hour and everyone's yeah. like, hey man, where you at? Uh we got some we got Got some Rocky Five to watch. Oh, Jesus. All right. So 
I figure I should start looking for one. I post up looking for a Ninja 250. I'm thinking, you know, just the the most beat up gnarly one would be the best. That way I don't have to even think about it. Hopefully it's like two grand. And nobody has one. I thought a bunch of people that had Ninja 300s, you know, there'd be a uh, there'd be some of them laying around, but apparently not. Um, then I started kind of doing a little bit more looking. It's just one it. of the best selling motorcycles yeah. in the American market. So there's a the lot that... 15 years or so? Yeah, for sure. It's crazy how many of those Kawasaki has sold, especially before we saw the other manufacturers come yes. on board, like yeah, Honda with sure. the uh, CBR250R. The Ninja, or the uh, R3. The R3, the main later, one the being KTM, the, R3 the RC390. The KTM, yeah. uh, Kawasaki, Kawasaki's been in the 250 game for Since the, the better early, part mid-80s. of 20 years. Mid-80s. Yeah. Just kind of sitting there, just like, and, and the bike 30 hasn't changed. Not much. Not really. There was a, a big sea change, and I think it's 08 or 09, and it goes through Was that 2000. the year they finally made it in green? I don't know. It's I'm, the I'm one just where, making a joke, because they really... They, it hasn't strayed very far. No. They're making sure. a lot of money on those castings. Yeah, for sure. So, bitch and bike works pretty well. Not a big fan because I had a VTR 250, which was the competing machine from the late 80s. And it was way better because it was a, a 90 degree V twin and it was a Honda. So, I always kind of had an aversion to him because I'd rode one once and I was like, this, this engine's horrible. It sounded horrible, vibrates, blah, blah, blah. Get on this thing and it's a well prepped machine. I go, we're skipping forward, but. I call my buddy um, Adam because I see that he has the lap record with a Ninja 250 at Omra. And I, I text him. I was like, hey, do you still have a Ninja 250? Because I know he races a 300 now. He's a Kawasaki rep, sales rep for this area. He was my service rep at Pro Italia in 1999. I've known him for a very long time now. And we've stayed in contact just being in the circles. He's rad. He's fast. We both raced two strokes. He's about 10 years older than me. Super cool. So I text him, do you still have it? Yep. You want to buy it? And I'm like, well, I was just kind of seeing, you know, if you still had it. I, I do, I'd, It was like right off the bat, he was like, here, you want to buy it? And he's like, well, I was thinking about doing the six-hour endurance with it. Do you want to do that? And then you could figure out whether you want to buy it after that. And I'm like, hell yeah. So that was what led us to this race. So well-prepped bike, lap record holder at, at PIR. So you know it's good. It doesn't have any, it doesn't leaving nothing on the table. Um, so we get to the, um, we get to the race and he is, uh, convinced that the best way to do it is to ride an hour and a half stints because he Ironmaned the whole thing last year on a 250 KX. And explain what Ironmaning means. I mean, the whole six hours. By I'm, himself. By himself. Come in, pour the fuel, do clean the chain. I think I would assume he had his wife spring with him at the time. I don't know. Anyway, gnarly. And he almost won it. But during that race last year, the competing team started to see what he was up to or started to see that he was legitimately going to get them uh, with that strategy. And they started putting on uh, Kevin Pinkstaff almost the whole time as well. Not quite the whole time, but pretty close. And Kevin was super fast, and I believe he was on an NG250. That's my guess. And uh, ended up uh, uh, pipping him at the end, I think. So he had a little bit of a cross to bear, or sorry, an axe to grind, one of those cliches. And he uh, he decided he wanted to try with me because he Two knew ducks in the hand, something in the bush. I don't know. Uh. So we we go in with lots of cliches in the bush into the into the uh, uh, Mac track. Irons in the fire. Uh, <laughs> so uh, with with his his grinding axe and me just showing up and wanting to haul ass and have fun. And uh, the competing team teams were a couple of Ninja Two Fifty teams and 
another one that was on a KTM 250 two-stroke. Uh, so the class structure is like modern, could be 254 stroke, uh, multi-cylinder, and uh, I think a single cylinder two-stroke, 250. And then old, the old ones I can't remember, but anything like pre-85, you could be like a 250 or 300 or something. So interesting mix of Bizarro bikes. Most people that were racing out there were on like dirt bike-like things like XR100 style things or old shit. There was a um, RD300 or RD250 or 300-ish thing. Um, uh, Suzuki 250 two-stroke from the early 80s, dirt, dirt bike, motard. It was a really interesting mix. But the the fast the fast way to go is Ninja 250. So we start off, and he's not super fast right off the bat, and he's not intending to be. He, it's, a, it's a Le Mans start, and um, he doesn't really get right out in front. He's like five down. And it puts us probably half a lap, maybe even more back right off the bat. Cause every, you know, everybody has a tendency to go really fast right off the bat. And Adam knows this and he's just kind of like, I don't need to do that. This is a six hour race. We're just going to ease into it. Gets, gets going pretty good. And by the first hour, because we didn't have to stop, um, we're in the lead. I mean, that was pretty cool. Uh, so it didn't take long for the other teams to, to notice that we're doing long stints. And I think they started to, to put on their fast people quick um, right off the, uh, right off the bat after that. So it didn't take long before it was kind of neck and neck and before the whole race, it was like that. So it was a, an exciting thing to be part of because then we were going to do 300 and it ended up being 390 something laps and be within a lap and a half of the winners, which ended up being the KTM team. Um, and that was us doing hour and a half stints, which is gnarly, super gnarly. And I wouldn't do it again. Cause it was like, Part of the part of the fun of this would be the camaraderie of having multiple riders, and I think you have Max as three, so having three riders makes sense. And then spin, splitting up the times on the bike to be a little bit more manageable than an hour and a half, because an hour and a half, I'm cramping up like a bastard. It, it you just end up having to be very careful with how you ride. So instead of you know being muscling it around um, like you're in a sprint race, you have to be super careful with just. Uh, an economy of motion, I'd say. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, so I got there um, about halfway into the race. I, I woke up, had a nice little Sunday, watched the MotoGP race, which we'll, we'll talk about in a minute. And I was in there like, oh, isn't there, I think there's some racing going on today. I should text people and see uh, see what's going on. I was like, I saw you post something up on social media and it was like, oh, we're in the lead. And it was like an hour into it and we're in the lead. And it was 45 minutes ago. I was like, oh, by the time I get down to the track, race is half halfway through but there's still three more hours of racing that's not bad i'll come down and see it but i got to watch from the sideline for for your stint and i was i was doing boards and i was timing but i was also timing you i mean say what you will about getting cramped up and stuff like your delta on your times, like you were steady eddie 50 seconds every lap and then you know we tell you to get on it and you drop into like a 48 i don't know if you did 47s or not i but don't you, think you definitely I was, did some 48s i don't think i was ever in the 40 i can tell you Knowing where the time is made on that track, there's no way I did a 47 because I was not going to send it. There's this one high-speed sweeper that you can make some time in, and I just was not doing the push on that because I didn't want I, – you just had – like I was saying, not only is it economy of motion, but it's an economy of ego. It's an economy of yeah. testosterone, whatever it is, that makes you say, no, I'm trying to make six hours here, not win the race in every single lap. Right. But but then 
things happen that cause your whole mindset to change. So there I was just putting in the times as Adam had done. Adam, like 10 minutes before my last hour and a half stint, crashed into a scooter that had crashed. So he was able to get it up, get it in the pits pretty quick, but it still was like a couple laps down. We were ahead. I don't know how many from that point. I think you guys were up a lap at that point. Probably up a a lap. That that kind of sounds right. And I think you lost two or three laps. Well, I mean, it doesn't really matter because I know when you got on the bike, you were three laps down. Right. And so Jensen was throwing the board. He would tell me 60 minutes, 30 minutes, 15 minutes, five minutes. Like, so that was one thing that he would throw. The other thing that he would throw would be plus three, plus two, plus zero, whatever it is. And every now and then a cat face. And at the very end, a cat face, which was very good. So in that second stint, we had swapped uh, directions of the track, which is cool. So I had gone out my first stint, which is the second stint, and run the track clockwise. And And so then I went out in the fourth stint counterclockwise. And I, you know, I'm comfortable either way and no, no issue either way, but I was, I think I'm faster and happier in the, in the, um, counterclockwise. I, I just think that's where I, I have the most fun. That was the second session. Yeah. I think I'm the other way around, but I, I like both ways. There's points, Christian and I were talking about this. Our buddy Christian was there and he was standing next to me on the, on the fence while you were out there and we were talking about which ways and you know, which way I preferred. And it's like, you know, it's funny because each direction has parts of it that I really like. Yeah. Like that sweeper that you don't like going the other way on that sweeper. I actually prefer yeah, that's great. a lot. Sure. And there's a couple sections where you can really break deep and, and make up a lot of time, but going the opposite direction, I think has, especially on the supermoto, it has the better rear wheel slide yeah, entry sure. for the corner. Sure. So there's, there's, there's bits and pieces. If you could pick them and be fun. And, and that's the, that's a good sign of an awesome track is that it's good either way. And if you could take this track and probably size it up, like say it's quarter size, and if you could make a full size out of that oh, quarter, yeah. that give, track... give it a little elevation. Uh, yeah, some elevation change somewhere, it would yeah. be so rad. Sweepers, uh, uh, flick chicanes, all kinds of good stuff. It used to be going in the clockwise direction, you were allowed, there was a, coming onto the front straight, this is going to be really hard, difficult to describe it over a podcast, over radio, there was a jump. There was a a jump that wasn't supposed to be there. It was in the um in the asphalt. No, you would you would jump. You would hop the curb, and then there was a grass mound huh. that made a great little jump, and it would land you right onto the front straight huh. for the supermotos. That's and cool. I think they've they've knocked that off since. Then. Yeah, because I, like I it. see but that. Yeah, scale that up, and then get it on a super bike, <laughs> and it'd be like the, <laughs> the hill, Cadwell Park. Yeah. Cadwell Park is exactly. it Nocula or Cadwell? Cadwell. I'm Cadwell. Sure it's Cadwell. Or or the Cyclone at um. Thunder Hill. Thunder Hill, sure. Where was it Josh Heron that likes to jump it? Oh yeah. There's a couple guys that have jumped that hill. That's gnarly. It's uh, just silly. Like I just not, yeah. not for me. Don't be silly. Not for me. Right. Well, I'm stoked with either way on this track. And I I was happy to do it. But t- t- say he crashes into the scooter. Don't lose a whole lot of time. I'm fine with it. He comes in. We get it. I have to do some very quick suturing with uh with safety wire, get the fairings back in place. Other than that, it was okay. You know, take a pair of vice grips to the rear brake pedal and bend it out of the way and get it functional. Or you the, guys didn't lose a lot of time, but no. when it's 50 second lap times, yeah. not and, a lot of time is, yep, is was enough, right? Yeah. So <clears throat> he goes back out, finishes his stint, then he has to leave. I love this part. He's a Kawasaki <laughs> regional rep and he had to be in Irvine uh, for 
Kawasaki meetings all week this week. So he had to leave at three o'clock to make his flight out of Seattle because it's too complicated. It is actually, and I can testify to this, it is too much of a pain in the butt to leave from Portland to fly to Seattle to get a flight down to. Yeah, I've done that right? a few times. Um, and it's expensive, I'm sure, to try and get whatever it was. It didn't work out. I was just pricing flights the other day and I could save 500 bucks by flying, driving up to Seattle. It's a bad deal. But and that's and, the, and the time wise, it actually not, works out quicker. It's not that right, yeah. especially if you have any layover there. So that's why he was like, no, I'm going to do this. And on Sunday night, I know that I could. He had already planned it out. He's like, um, I think he was planning to Iron Man this thing until I called him. <laughs> and then he was like, no, that's just a good idea. Maybe I won't have to Iron Man. You made the cut. Because he had to. He had to train like for two months before he did it to try and get his level up, right? So that was last year. And I don't think he was doing that this year. So he had to leave at three and then he was going to be gone. So when you showed up, I was stoked because I was like, oh man, finally, I'm kind of glad like I'm not going to be alone because what if I bin it and break my collarbone? I'm fucked. It'll be horrible. You know what I mean? I, I know there's a large group of cool people and a lot of people are from Portland in that, in the, at the racetrack, but still, it's nice to have friends. Then also having the board, having somebody fist pumping on the sideline does help. It's like there's a little bit of a cheerleading thing there that you know things are going okay doing good, whatever that, that little things like that, you wouldn't yeah. think psychologically it makes that much of a difference, but it does. There's right? a fisting joke I'm just going to ignore, but yeah. <sighs> Stop it. No, so, but I was, I was, I mean, this is, this is, this is a great testament to how kind of like into it. I'm, I'm, don't, I'm sitting there like mentally willing you to go faster every lap, just like, oh, just get one more second, go faster. When you started, we, we talked about it beforehand very quickly. I was like, I guess show me plus this plus that if, if I'm, you know, just to give me an idea how much I'm down on this person, because we knew I was down. And if it if it's close enough, then it might inspire me to ride a little higher. So that first time you put up plus three, part of me was like, well, that's three laps. But I'm that's like, a lot. <laughs> I, but, I, but I was also like, you know what? I'm going to keep going fast. I'm not going to I'm not going to send it, but I'm going to keep going fast. And then I, I'm watching that other racer kind of it depended on where we were in the track, because our lap times were very similar in that we didn't come with each other very often, depending on which person was on the bike. Right. There's a couple people right. that were plokey, but there was one person that was right. very fast, right? And then and then I think about 10, 15 minutes into your stint, they swap riders. Well that's and, and that was and that's why I threw out the slower ride. I'm like, okay, here's someone you're making some time on. Yeah, for sure. So that that is what I didn't understand. I thought you were throwing that out there because I was about to encounter the slow rider and I was, I was so confused because that person in front of me was like, yeah, no, no we had shit. talked about this before you went out. I know. But red mist. Dude, it, you don't, you, you just, it all goes out the window. Your brain cells just stop working. All you're doing is focusing on the thing. So either way, I was on it. Like I didn't even, even though you had sent that, I was like, you know what? I think there was a point where you'd shown a plus something else that wasn't three before that. And I was seeing that the the times were coming down and I was gaining. And I'm like, they might have had to do their fuel stop and it might have taken a while. Maybe their tire went off. I don't know. And I'm just going to focus. So by, I don't know, not 15. So 15 minutes in, I'm, we're talking maybe another half an hour yeah. later. No, that's when they that's when they they uh, came in for fuel. And they lost a lot of time on fuel and you got two laps back on the fuel. Okay. So And I knew that that was a possibility, right? Because that's just the way it works. But then I came up onto whoever it was, uh, and they were going okay, but I was getting on them, and I was just clicking away, and I could see that I had about a second uh, lap on them, at least. And right as I'm getting on them, like, and about to pass them, they pull off and go into the pits. 
the pit lane delta, this is something you, if you're in, in the watching Formula One, you have to know the pit lane delta is the amount of time it takes to get from the track back onto the track. And if you know that time, then you can calculate a lot of different other things and how you're going to do your pit strategy. Just to just interject, I want to talk about the TT on the show as well. But one of the interesting things about the Isleman, the T- Isleman TT is they have these old style gas pumps that everyone has to use. They don't get to do the quick change no. where it's got the yeah. the one hose for the air and the other for the yeah, gas sure. and it does it all in you know, two tenths of a second. But they all have to use the same thing. They all have to use the same thing. And it's basically a, a giant funnel that's on the top of a post that holds, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 gallons or whatever it is. It's yeah. huge. And it's just a hose that goes down to a nozzle. And I don't even think the nozzle has a closer. I think they just put their hand on it and put a rag to stop the flow. <laughs> yeah. But so it's a gravity pump. Yeah. And that is the rate limiter for pit stops, basically. So mm. if you can get a good team gets their pit stops done, and I mean water to the rider, clean the helmet, swap out a rear wheel, do the changing, wipe the screen. Yeah, sure. They get all that done and the time it takes for them to fill which is roughly five gallons or so of gasoline because it takes so long to come down this little How hose long in this gravity. How is it? Is it 15 seconds? <clears throat> no, no, it's much longer. It's like is 30, it really? 45 seconds. Oh, I didn't realize crazy it was that. long. That's cool though because that uh, there's a safety level there of making sure that the helmet's clean, right. making sure the rider the rider's hydrated. It's only an hour for them, but that's a fucking gnarly hour, well, right? Well, it's almost, it's, well, let's think about this. Hour so and eight minutes. Senior, the senior TT is six laps. They're doing just around 17 minutes a lap. So it's about an hour and a half. I, th- I think I saw hour and eight minutes, hour and 10 mm-hmm. minutes today. I was looking at some of the results. Yeah, but those were four lap, oh, four lap races. Which ones are? Super sports, four, super stocks, are, four. So the main one's six? The super bike. Uh, the one that starts the TT weekend is called the Superbike TT. Yeah. That's six, and the one that finishes the Super the TT weekends the Senior TNT, and that's six. Okay, didn't know that. All right, yeah. got it. So they do two pit stops on those. So in this case, they the pit lane delta. As I watched this person come in, I was like, okay, this will be interesting because I hadn't really been paying much attention to it and I hadn't timed it. The person goes in, I go through the S's, and I come out on the front straightaway. And they're basically coming on the track right as I'm getting to the end of the front straightaway. They're, the pit lane delta was almost as fast as me going around the racetrack, which basically tells me there is no use in doing a single rider or dual rider setup when your pit lane delta can be so quick. Now, if your bike needed refueling a lot... Larger gas tank still has an advantage. Yeah, exactly. So there's a balance with that where you could just change riders all the time and not have to change fuel but every other. When on the Ninja 250, you can go quite a way. But that was interesting for me. I'm like, oh, man, it was a little disheartening because I'm like, that means that they're probably close to like I was about to unlap myself, but I wasn't sure. But I think that's what happened. You showed me the zero. And then my my brain's calculation was, does that mean I'm in the lead lap? Or Right. I'm like, or does that mean I'm in a zero? You know, I was kind of like, oh, so that he he passes me. Well, I don't know, within another lap or two. Yeah. And, and I knew who it was and I know how fast they are. And I wasn't going to race them because I was like, well. What am I going to do? I'm just going to, we're really far away from the end. And if this person's faster than me, I, I just know the closing speeds. I knew the time. And they like, just got fuel and I'm not, they're going all the way. Yeah, I'm not even going to, right? But after a bit, it starts sprinkling and it's cool and it's nice. And I had only had a couple of like front end slides when I think I was just being sloppy when I was, you know, releasing the brake 
I'd still be kind of digging in and I felt the, the front push a couple times and it was hot and I was like, eh. so I had to, I had to start breaking a little bit more straight up and down, et cetera. I was kind of having to, to deal with it in a different way. But as soon as it started sprinkling a little bit, or maybe there was some other things going on where the rider came back to me, right? So I'm, I'm going and I'm like, I'm catching this person and this is the fast person. So I don't know what's going on here. Maybe they're freaked out by the weather. I'm just going for it. So I get to them. I pass them in traffic and then they start racing me. And it's like wheels at every place. And I'm riding a tight line. I am a bastard. I, I'm pretty good at riding the tight line. You got line. really wide really quick. I got, yes, really wide. And I would I was taking very non-wide lines, like very tight lines. And I do that for a couple laps and it's apparent that I, I either I'm going to end up on the ground or he is going to. And I'm like, oh no, but I'm trying to watch your your pit signals, finally I see the signal that says 50 seconds, which tells me, number one, it's either he's 50 seconds ahead of me or 50 seconds behind me, and whichever way it is, there's no point for me to race that person right then, right? Either I let them go and I stay on them and I stay on that lap, or I let them go and I stay on them and they don't get away from me and that way I I win or whatever it is, right? So I'm kind of doing this in my head, I'm like, but if I keep racing him like this, he's going to end up taking me out because I'm, I started to like ride way too hard. I was going to crash, right? I could tell I was like, I'm riding hard enough to where if I have to keep this up and I think, think we still had 15 minutes left or there was a bit of time, yeah, maybe even 20 minutes. It was yeah, just, we, were, we were doing the math on the side and it's like, even if you took two minutes, two seconds to lap out of it, then there's no way. Maybe, maybe, but you guys were already upping the wick at that point yeah. where like, you're in the 49s, yeah. 48s. And it's like, man, you'd have to put in some solid times with it drizzling. And even then. Yeah, and it makes sense. And yeah. so I did enough of that in my head where I just backed off. And then it started sprinkling heavily enough to where I had to back off a little bit more. But then I, I know enough that with the sprinkle, it takes quite a bit to get any uh, amount of grip level to go down. And it just wasn't. Especially I, on a track that had been bikes on it hot, nonstop for hot. S- basically six hours and at it's point. constantly being taken yeah. i mean there were only 11 teams we had a death in omra recently uh not a racer but uh janice logan was one of the like the basically the mother of omra for the past 20 or 30 years she passed away and her service was on sunday so there were a lot of people that went missing because of that fair enough right so we were kind of all racing in her honor that meant there were only 11 teams, not 16. So there wasn't a huge amount of bikes, but there wasn't a lot of attrition. I was I was actually kind of stoked because the the couple of years ago, there was a lot of broken bikes, lots, because there was a lot of pieces of shit. I only had one exhaust pipe fall off right in front of me one time, and I only had three people crash in front of me. So I was pretty stoked that I didn't really have too much drama. I had one person um, take a really strange line, same bike that had the exhaust fall off, um no coincidence yeah right uh took a really weird line i was passing him on the outside and i had to go into the grass for a bit other than that i only had a few moments on the front you you give me that weird look and i don't like that weird look no we're like 40 minutes in and i don't know how that happened because we're telling stories yeah yeah i guess so we're good at it no yeah we bullshit like no just, other. This is why we do this. I just yeah. There's just something that doesn't seem quite right. Okay. About that, well, whatever. you're probably going to have all kinds of horrible editing. Be fun. Good luck with that. Yeah. Thanks. I feel like I'm going on and on with this. Bottom line, we ended up second. Stoked on second. Stoked. Like I, I think Adam was pissed. He's in the. He, I'm talking to him on the phone. He's on his way up to Seattle to make his flight. 
I think he's pissed because he's he knows that he caused the you know he he crashed and we're not. He's like, well, I think all his fault. Second is first loser, and I'm like, yeah, I don't give a shit. It's endurance racing. If you podium, you you're part of the winning group of people that did a a good job riding hard for for six hours. I don't care. I'm I'm, I'm sad. I won this one. I went home like, I wish we'd won. (laughs) What if we? I should have given. I should have lied to him on the pit board. <laughs> There's I, no I should, way he could have no done forty fives. So he had it in him. <laughs> yeah, there was no way, no way. And we were talking. We we unfortunately didn't talk about this this time. But you were you were speaking to Jason Pridmore talking yes. about his his experience as an endurance racer. And I'm right. pretty sure we should look this up. But I'm pretty sure he is a world champion because he was on a team that was a world championship and world endurance team. I think <sighs> Jason's so fucking old. If not <laughs> Jason, Jason was back with Mike Halewood. I think he was teammates with Mike Halewood. Stop it. And Agostini. And, um, so, so yeah, it was actually, this is one of the tragedies of, of, of screwing up the podcast the first time around. We do get some good stories. Um, so I'll try and retell this one and, and do it some, some justice, but, um, I, I I had a conversation with Jason Pridmore two three years ago when he was still with the Prince Thirteen BMW team, and this is a high level World FIM World Endurance Championship motorcycle endurance team. I don't think they're a factory team, so to speak, but true BMW fashion, like you know, they're they're very high level podium some races, and he was going off to, I think it was Germany. I think it was the eight hour in Germany at the time and we were getting into conversation about the different riding styles that uh one would have to use in endurance versus middle america or at the time it was still ama racing i yeah. believe yeah um and how that and how that was different because you know he he runs the star school and he does the jp43 one-on-one coaching and you know he's mentoring riders like benny Solis and um, michael gilbert and a couple others kind of some up-and-coming american road racers and so he teaches a very you know specific style in his school, but we're kind of talking about the difference that you have to use when you're endurance racing. And you know you look at like MotoGP is a great example right now, where everyone's got this hanging off elbow down yeah. style. Um, and actually, if you go and you watch the TT, the TT is still going on right now. Uh, the TT riders have a very different style that's sure. more like endurance racing, where because it's it's so long. You know, senior TT is 104 minutes, I believe. So it's a little, it's almost an hour 45, basically. Yep. That's, that's the fastest riders. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when you're on a bike for an hour and 45 minutes, you can't do that Mark Marquez, Moto2, MotoGP style. It's just, it's too much. And they also have to worry a lot about the bike moving underneath them. So they stay almost exactly in line with the motorcycle. If you yeah. look at the TT riders and it's really so that they're more planted to the bike and hand and can handle it moving around on them because there's so much moving around there's so much moving. you're on a public road for christ's yeah, sake sure. um so that's very similar to the endurance riding although i would say the endurance riders still get off the bike but jason kind of explained to me where you know when you're on a, a closed circuit or a short circuit racetrack you're really getting your body off the tank you're getting it off the seat whereas endurance riding is really more around and you're really letting the fuel tank and the body of the bike kind of hold your body weight for you. So you're taking more and more and more of the weight off of your arms and off of your legs so that those muscles don't get as fatigued. Because when you go and do, like if you're doing a 24 hour, you're going to, you go and do the bull door, which is what this endurance race here in Oregon gets its name from, or you go and do the 24 hours at Le Mans, three rider teams, you're doing eight hours of motorcycle riding in a single day. That's no fucking joke. 
Mm-hmm. So you really need to to have this style that is a conservation of energy and a conservation of your stamina to, to be able to make it through that distance. And it was really interesting to kind of see the difference. And I went out on the track and tried it, and you're like, oh, yeah, it's, it's weird. I'm not as fast. Sure. But I'm not Way that more comfortable. I'm not that slow. And I sat there, I was like, I could do this all day. I could literally put this lap in all day long like this. It was very, very interesting to see. Well, I couldn't. And on a Ninja 250 with rear sets that were stock rear sets but lifted up, so the the pegs were like super sharp but not grippy. So the stock folding pegs were on the spike, but they were up like an inch and back an inch. So it's like really far up for my 5'10", 33-inch inseam legs. I was crunched up on that thing. And, I, you know, I'd notice it. I'd notice the numb part of my palm and my foot where it was in the same position for long. So I'd have to move my feet during the, as I'm going, I'm having to kind of readjust because I use my my hands and feet quite a bit to, you know, move around on the bike. That's the way it works, right? So I had to, I had to be mindful of that. And until I started to have to race the rider towards the end, I wasn't using my legs at all, and I wasn't hanging off that much. I think I got my knee down like five times the whole time. I, was, I wasn't using my knee. I just right. I just trying to stay again. Economy of motion, kind of flow along. Don't get worn out. Don't you know? Which get is funny arm pumps. You know, you're putting in forty eights, forty nines. Not really trying. That's a fast lap around there. Yeah. Well, I was trying at the end there. That was when I when I was getting into the forty eights. It was sprinkling. So. I don't know. I have this weird advantage with that because I know that I can have, I know that there's grip. It's just sprinkling. And I would wipe my face shield off every lap at a very specific point and gauge how many sprinkles I'm getting per lap. And if it ever increased and it did like two laps, and that was when I was getting a little bit of a funky feeling on the front when I would release the brakes, I was getting a little push. I was like, all right, that's, that's when I'm going to crash is on the front end in the rain. So I, was just hauling ass because I was trying to keep up with that person or get to them. And I think it was probably when I had the carrot to get to them and it was sprinkling. It was probably when I was putting in the fast laps and I was using my legs and I was hanging off the bike more. And I was like putting the knee down a little. And I was like, this is going to hurt like a bastard when I'm done and I shouldn't be doing this, but I wanted to get to that person, but that's what it took. It takes, it takes a little bit of physicality to get that lap time. Even on a 50-second lap course, it's going to take a lot of physicality just to get a second, right? That's the way it works. And I think that's the argument against trying to do like the Ironman or doing it yeah. with a two-rider team, especially yeah. with I agree. there being no real penalty yeah. time-wise sure. to switch riders. With the so pit lane delta, You're going to want to send someone out and be like, yeah, go go out there and go do consistent 48s because you're only going to have to do it for an hour or yeah. 30 minutes. it be or way better. Whatever it is. And you can be fresher. Right, exactly. Just, just so I don't get an angry call from, from JP. No, I was about to say. He, he was has- on the 2012 Suzuki Endurance Racing Team FIM winning, you know, championship winning team. So uh, CERT, Suzuki Endurance Racing uh-huh. Team, is like the winningest yeah. uh, endurance racing team in, in, in endur- motorcycle endurance racing. Yeah, They've sure. won, I think, off the top of my head, like 16, French 17, team, 18. Right? They're all French. Yeah. It's so French. Yeah. Uh-huh, so and, French. And 2003. Oh, I didn't see that. He's 2003 World Endurance oh, yeah, Champ with, with James Ellison. Right? He's super rad. And I didn't realize that I couldn't, I forgot that he was the Formula Extreme Champion. And I think that was on an Attack Suzuki at the time in 2002. He was his AMA 750 Super Sport Champion, which I knew, but that was 1997. Uh, but it's interesting that he has won 21 AMA national races, um, which is second to Scott Russell. Which I, I mean, this this dude's pretty 
pretty Jason's rad. awesome. Jason's rad. He's a good dude on top yeah, of it. He sure. does a lot of work with um, uh, well, Army National Guard when it was yeah. involved in AMA, but he does a lot with service members and, and training to make sure that they're staying safe because we lose a lot of service members to motorcycle accidents. Yeah. Way, way too many. Hmm. Um, if you can do one of his schools, I highly recommend it. I've done, I've done a couple of them now. I find them pretty. What's interesting, I've done. I think I've done two or three, but over a pretty long yeah. span. I think it was like three, four years time span between them, and to see kind of like the evolution of the things, like, hey, this is what we thought we did two, three years ago. Well, now this has changed. Entire technology has changed. Electronics yeah. have changed. So we're going to teach you some new stuff. So some of the stuff we taught you before yeah, really cool. is kind of going out the window, and here's some of the new stuff. So you I like always that. Always learn more. Yep. Always learning. Always changing. Always adapting. And. And and it really was that that Delta was kind of the traction control sure. tire technology kind of changed, and we saw like the Mark Marquez, um, you know, elbow dragging style come yeah. out and talk about that. It's like, okay, so let's talk about that. Why do we do this? What's the purpose of that? It's cool. I like that. I like that school a lot. All um, right. Well, overall, great time. Ended up second. Um, not not bothered at all. Think that's pretty cool. Congratulations to the winning team. I forget what they called themselves. Um, bad hombres. No, the bad hombres. Um, and love to do it again next year. Definitely, if I own this bike at this at this time next year, we've, we're going to have to figure out a way to do it. Yeah, I think we said this. I think we said this in the last show. I, I'm I'm really disappointed that I forgot all about this. And it's usually on Father's Day. That's usually the yeah. the kicker. But it was far off my radar, anyways. But. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely down to go do it. All right, we'll I'm, have I'll to be, figure it out for sure. Because I want to do, do it again. I I enjoy it. I enjoy every aspect of it. I like riding that track. I'm going to have to go very supermoto on it. So, oh well. All right. So enough about me. What about you? That was it. I, I mean, I watched the motorcycle race. We we had a really interesting Italian Grand Prix at Magello. You know, I haven't had a chance to watch it. I know the results, but okay. I haven't had a chance to watch it. Some spoiler, spoiler alert, spoiler. If you haven't seen it, spoiler, spoiler. If you if you haven't seen the race by the time this show gets out, yeah, that's your fault. Screw that's it. that's on you. If this, I, I don't truthfully, I don't believe in spoilers. Nope. I think I think spoilers. If this was out on Monday morning after, sorry. Nope. Yeah, I'm sorry. On did, Facebook, did you, did you download media? a motorcycle podcast and yeah, not expect to no. hear the motorcycle race being talked about? Sure. Yeah. I'm sorry that the world doesn't revolve around you. I love it when people get yell at me for spoilers. I'm like, nope, the world doesn't revolve around you. The internet. Does. My job is literally to tell you what happened. You're asking me not to do my job. That's like going to the dentist and being upset that he didn't fill your cavity. Or that, hey, you took off that plaque <laughs> and it hurt. It hurt. You scraped oh, yeah. my teeth with that metal thing and it really yeah. hurt. Just like <laughs> it made me heart. uncomfortable. <laughs> um, so yeah, really good Jorge Lorenzo. Well, first off, because because I'm me, Rossi got pulled, which is pretty weird, right? I And when I saw that he got pulled, even I know it's Mugello, but he hasn't been gelling with Mugello in a while, right? Well, that Yamaha is um, not good this year. And and <laughs> that's to say the least. Well, is it really that it's not that good? It's just everything else is so much better? It's not or good is it not if good? you're... It's fine if your name is Zarco. Um, truthfully, what I think... This this is this is Jensen's grand conspiracy. Of, oh, I love it. Of I love, it. Let's, of I love digging into it, sure. Because I don't think this is something that really gets put in the headlines a lot. Like, you're a Rossi fan, so I'm about to speak truth to power. Valentino Rossi's a pain in the ass. An and, awesome pain in the ass. <laughs> and and he wields quite a bit of control yeah. in the MotoGP paddock on like kind of like a political level, but also inside the team. And understand that. And I think Yamaha, I think he's basically made Yamaha his bitch. In the sense that Yamaha. Yamaha is very hair, very aware of what his post-career 
is going to be like. And they understand that while he's on the bike, he's going to help sell bikes and he's going to be the marketing thing. And that brings a lot of value to the team. Like regardless of what his results are, he's going to bring in more positives to the team than another rider like say Jorge Lorenzo winning the championship. Yep. That that's his star power. Um, and afterwards, they know that they need to keep him as a legacy rider. Right, because he's going to be, deal. he needs to kind of finish his career with them so he can be the brand ambassador emeritus. And, and for like the and next 30 years. That for 30, yes, 30 for years, For 30, right? 40 years, he'll be helping them sell I, Yamaha. I so think of every time I see Kenny Roberts yeah. in Yamaha stuff somewhere, yeah. right? Yeah. They've milked that for a really long yeah. time. Yeah. Okay. Um, they, they do it. They do the thing. So you think because of that, he is he, he has swayed them into making a shitty bike. I don't understand. So understand that that's the level of power. That's the level he's playing with, and he knows it. The, he absolutely knows that he's got this yeah. leverage over them. And so you have him coming and say, "Hey, I need the bike to be A," and you have Vinales or Lorenzo coming in and say, "Hi, hey, I need the bike to be B," and B might be the better way. B might be the the bike that everyone else can ride. But Yamaha will be like, okay, Rossi, yeah, we'll do that. So what ended up happening, and this is, and this is the same issue that that kind of pushed Lorenzo out, where you have this fight inside the team where the faster rider isn't the one that's being listened to for development. The rider with more political clout, with the more monetary monetary clout, is is the one that's dictating terms, and that's the Rossi. So that's where Lorenzo's just like, I'm sick of dealing with your politics. Like, I'm the one that's winning the championships, and I still don't get to determine where this bike gets headed to. And Yamaha ended up basically they 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 fractured the development. They said, okay, we're gonna start developing a bike for Rossi and we're gonna start building a bike for Vinales because they need two completely different things. Whereas like at least Lorenzo and Rossi more or yeah. less needed the same bike yeah. and could ride in similar ways, but they would still be there's still be attention. And Rossi creates a lot of tension in the garage. He's not a person that's easy to get along with. Part of that is just the sheer celebrityism of it. There's always going to be people yeah. popping in. There's always going to be it's a photographers. There's always going to be journalists. It's always going to be a lot of demands. But also some of it is too, like he brings his whole crew in there. They create a lot of chaos. They're very contentious. He can be. He can throw a couple grenades over the 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 wall just to see blow up so he can keep you off your game. Like in a way, I think he likes having his closest rivals in his team because he can disrupt them the most. Um. So it's caused a lot of it's caused a lot of issues for Yamaha. I think arguably Lorenzo would have won so many more championships if he'd stayed with Yamaha. Um and I think uh Rossi p- was able to push him out and I think Vinales has been such a mistake for him coming to the Yamaha team because one I think he was gelling with the Suzuki and Suzuki could really have benefited from him. But two like it just He's not coping with that the Rossi dynamic, and he's not really gelling with the bike. And I don't think Yamaha is giving Vinales the energy and attention that a new rider, a younger rider, needs to have this bike molded to what he needs to go win a championship with. And they literally, they literally split the development, and so that's caused a lot of issues. And so I think it's really interesting that you see Zarco, who I think is a very high level functioning rider, but he's on a bike that doesn't have this weird fucked up development where you have two sides of the brain yeah. fighting against each other and he he's sitting down there and he's looking at lorenzo's data and he's basically like okay so this is how this bike has to be ridden i know this i can see that this is a podium winning bike and he goes out and there just does the thing and he doesn't have to deal with the rossi bullshit he doesn't have to worry about parts getting parts from the factory that just don't work because they're being really built for someone else and he just sits there like okay this is my package 
It's done. It's not going to get evolved. This is a recipe for how to ride this package to you know podiums and and race wins well, and when championships. When you say that, you like how do you know this? How do you know that he has access to all of Jorge Lorenzo's data? Because they talk about it because that, it's like literally something that that the crew chiefs of Yamaha talk about is like Lorenzo's the one that knows how to ride this bike and they all look at his data and say like this is okay it's like it's like literally like a little it comes with like a little bow on it like here's your okay. here's your yep. your m1 yeah. and here's here's the ma- the owner's manual on yamaha how to ride. is good enough to say hey we want all these teams even if they are the also ran team they're pretty deeply connected right we need you to do well so here's some data for from- all intents and purposes ktm was a satellite uh, or was like the junior the junior factory team. They were a satellite team. They're almost like a factory team. There's a very close relationship between Hervé Poncheral, who raced no, with the Yamaha. You said KTM, you mean Tectois. Tectois, sorry. sorry yeah. Which is why it's such a big deal that Tectois switching to KTM. For uh, someone like Hervé Poncheral to oh, give up on the, Yamaha. that was the Freudian slip. Okay, got it. Yeah. Because um, <laughs> he he raced with the Yamaha. He has this connection with them. It's it's a whole yeah. thing. So that's, that's going to be the interesting part. Now that's, of course creating this whole thing like well who will take over as yamaha's satellite team will it be mark vds will it be uh, a team that's actually run by the sepang circuit or or and patronus as a sponsor that's really well, all that's up a in whole the other air. that's a whole nother silly season thing yeah. and i was just talking to the paddock pass guys we got to do a show on it because it's evolving daily just today we saw danny pedrosa is leaving uh repsol honda and hrc and we're seeing something we had talked about, which was that's been riding on the wall. But yeah. the big thing is now there's a lot of reports in that Jorge Lorenzo is going to come in and be the number which two. Is what I was, I think Repsol I was rider. saying on one of our recent shows that we were joking about it, yeah. but I'm like, dude, that makes the most sense. It doesn't make any sense it, to me whatsoever. It, so it makes all the sense to no, me. No, because you look at the look at the ego that comes with, with Lorenzo and this idea that like, like his big jam at Ducati was him being like, I'm the number one rider. I'm the number one rider on this team. You need to pay me 20 million euros, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, well. And Ducati being like, well, you haven't run won any races and the quote unquote number two rider almost won the championship. So mm, Sorry. he doesn't like that answer. No. So he goes and goes shopping and it's like, and you go to Repsol Honda, I guarantee you, you are not going to be the number one rider inside the Repsol Honda. I don't know, Honda. man. It's Spanish Armada. Uh, maybe he just would rather. It's the wrong. So, it's the wrong Spaniards, though, because Jorge is from Mallorca and Marquez is from Barcelona, and those are like completely Where's different countries. Where's Pooch from? Pooch is Team Marquez right now, I think. You he's think not, he's not Team Pedrosa? I'll tell no, you that. for sure. So there's all kinds of fuckery going on there. But where else is he gonna go? He's a world he champion go, level dude. He could go to a Yamaha satellite team and and have like a factory spec bike in that. He could go to, um. Uh, Suzuki. He could go. He go a lot of different places. You go to Aprilia. <laughs> no, if you you go to Honda. That's the only place I'd go. It makes the most sense. That's the winner. I think. Right? I think Honda is the only team that's going to give him the as good of a bike and the more importantly the paycheck. Uh huh. But I think looking at I think and I think that's the that's the issue I have. Does the paycheck really matter to somebody like this? Absolutely, it absolutely matters. That's why he wanted twenty million euros because. That is how these guys measure themselves against each other. Is the how much are you getting paid? Well, I'm getting paid 20 million because that's what I'm valued. Not that like they need like 20 million versus 19, but it's literally like that's that's the measuring stick that they use. This is the same thing that billionaires do. Where it's like, how much money do you really need to have in the world? You know, like when you're when you're taking private helicopters everywhere and private jets and have a yeah, big sure. ass yacht does it really matter if you have a um, hundred million dollars yeah, or no, 200 sure. million dollars not really 
But that is the measuring stick. I was like, well, my boat's 85 feet and your boat's only 80. So yeah, that sucks. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for Lorenzo, like so much of that is, is the respect and the team and the dynamic and the chaos. I think he's going to go into the Repsol Honda team. I think it's going to be absolute chaos. I think that is the worst thing that Honda could do. The only argument I've heard that kind of makes sense is like, well, another team doesn't have him now. Yeah. So you can just kind of take him out of the, out of the contention in a way. And there's a sick part of me that's like, you know what? My favorite thing about having Jorge in Ducati was the fact that he sucked, which means we didn't have these races like, like we did at Italy uh, at Magello where he just takes the first corner and then just disappears. And the race is just really boring. When Jorge wins races that Jorge wins are horrible races because they're boring. Yeah. Oh, you've said this many times and you're right. You just sit there and it's like, Oh, oh, he's just going to keep doing the thing. It's fantastic. You know, from a like, wow, look what you can do perspective. But as, as an entertainment, it's so boring. So what happened with the Ducati at the, obviously it was good because Andrea was right there. Well, I didn't see the times. Was he? No, he wasn't right there. I mean, that was the thing. He almost, I think another lap, he probably would have been third. Uh, his rear tire was going off. Uh, it was a it was a war of attrition with tires. Jorge just disappeared. Jorge just did a classic Jorge thing, led from the very first corner, and just never looked back. And everyone else was racing for second. And people. What happened cra- to Marquez? Crashed. But like in a what way? Like just crashed. Tucked the front end. Somewhere. Yeah, he lost the front. It was actually kind of impressive because he he loses the front, and he tried to save it. Yeah, and I mean, as he does, and he just dragged for. I think they ended up seeing like thirty five meters or something like that. I mean, just. All the way into the gravel. He's still on his knee and his elbow trying to get the thing up in the gravel trap. You know, just wasn't going to let that one go. Ended up losing 25 points because of it. He wasn't able to get back up and finish, right? He got back up. He circulated. He never got back into the points. Oh, okay. No, that's right. I saw that. Okay. So, bottom line is the Ducatis were good, but Mugello's fast, fast. Ducatis, Ducatis were good, but they they definitely had a power advantage. So power but advantage. it was hot. Like the big thing was managing tires. Ah, okay. So how the fuck did Rossi do the thing in a hot with a hot? Because that's been the the bane of the Yamaha this year is it doesn't work hot. You know, if you if you want to buy into like the romance of it, Rossi said he raced with his heart and oh, not and on his bike. Yeah, but sorry. I think truthfully, I think they've they've made some progress on the setup. I okay. think I think it was one of those things where he was just it, he, it is a his, bit of hard. His, his veteranism of motorcycle. I don't know if that's a word, veteranism. His his veteran Veterality? status, his his virility, his he's, <laughs> he's so fucking old. Yeah. No, but his experience as as a racer was, I think, it really helped him manage the tires a lot better than some of these younger guys. Got it. That were just crashing and and cooking their tires and uh, I'll old age and treachery. I'll have to watch the race. Okay, it's a good race. Me. It's not the best race of the season. It's no, but race. it's really the lead up. So I want to watch qualifying and then up to kind of watch the goings on. How did uh, Petrucci and uh oh god damn it miller jack asked you not not enough to to make a dent i'm making a face at you like why are you asking me well because they had the bitchin lamborghini uh the lamborghini was, paint job was pretty good that was neat the the bumblebee the bumblebee and the wasp i think is what they called it is that what it was yeah i don't remember whatever um patrucci finished seventh yeah because now it seems like miller, miller crash it would make the most sense if patrucci takes uh lorenzo's spot that almost seems guaranteed yeah that he's going to move up makes the most sense. and um miller will be on a factory spec bike in Pramac. yeah i think that's 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 kind of how things are slotting together the big question will just be where does lorenzo land it looks like it's going to be repsol honda 
Um, and almost, in fact, I think it's 99% done. I was just talking to David um, earlier today about it. Yeah. Nothing's been announced, but that's sure. That's where we're at. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad yeah. I called that one, even though I'm like, I'm, it was more of a joke, but it wasn't. Like, I was like, this makes, to me, it just makes too much sense. It, I think it makes too sense. Too much Spanish Armada bullshit. I think going it makes on. sense. To, but that's the thing. You say Spanish Armada, but I know that, that is way too big of a brush to paint. That's I like know. saying like American Armada and understanding that like the North and South are almost like completely polar opposites now. I don't or know. East but and West. Still, still, you're on United Front where you're going after the Ruskies. No, I don't. Cause that's <laughs> oh, the thing, no, like, you're not. I'm sorry. <laughs> But it's just it's just one of those things like uh, just get it out. Uh, it, you you say Spanish Armada, but it's it's not the same Spaniards. It's like Portugal and Spain. It's like yeah, okay, almost the same country, but yeah, no, they're not. All right, Repsol. It's it's Cat- there's the Catalonia Mafia, the Catalonia Catal- Catalonian Mafia, Catalan, the Catalan Mafia, yeah, and then the rest of Spain. Oh. And so Marquez is Catalan. As was Pedrosa, and then rest of Spain, which is which is Jorge, or his uh, Mallorcan. So, we'll see. I, I think it's going to be a total disaster, but we'll see. I don't. I don't really care. I think it just makes for an interesting thing. Okay. I, I really. I think for me, I like the disaster aspect because I understand how much it's going to fuck with and hopefully fuck with Marquez. But at the same time. I go back to 2015 and think that uh, Lorenzo and Marquez are in bed with each other to, you know, further along, but then it gets to this point and then it's all like gloves are off, right? I think they've worked with each other. I think there's been collusion, especially against Rossi, for sure. Now it's going to be the two of them and it's going to be gnarly. And Lorenzo's going to have to learn to ride a bike that I wouldn't say is, is, Good for him, but Poor it'll be interesting. opposite to see. of his riding style. Right? So it'll be very cool. Maybe Honda, though, will start bending uh, into having a bike. You know, there, there's a bit of the Honda Yamaha. They both kind of have to bend towards each other a little bit. So maybe it'll be a change, but I don't know. Okay, let's say that's true. Like, okay, how many seasons is that going to take? Oh, know. just like the Ducati. Oh, you just got to spend... Yeah. I, I think some of these... Years. I truthfully <laughs> think some of these riders make too quick of snap, snap decisions. And I think that's what's benefited yeah. Yeah. people like... Cal Crutchlow and Andrea Davizioso, where they sit on a bike and they put in their time and they put in multiple seasons, yeah. you know, developing it and understanding, okay, this is how you make this bike go faster. And, and this then, is how and then, I adapt. And then the team can loop back and say, okay, yeah, so you're going down this road. We can, okay, you need to, you need a different thing. Like that was the big thing with Lorenzo for this weekend. who's really saying like, oh, the fuel tank, we got a new fuel tank and now it's, it's a whole new bike for me. It's so much easier. Well, yeah, now the team is being able to catch up and do the development things that you need to get the maximum performance. <laughs> the advantage is Davi's had like, I don't know, five seasons of that with Ducati. Kyle Crutchlow's had, I don't know, three or four seasons on the Honda. Like they're, And you're seeing that pay off for them where these other riders that are hopping around are really struggling. Look at look at Andrea Iannone. Look at Paula Spargo just hopping around on different bikes. Maverick. Maverick. Yeah, exactly. You know, how many seasons is Maverick going to have to be on a Yamaha before he starts seeing the results of it? Yeah. Because for as similar as these bikes are, their their ethos is so different that you kind of have to take a while to understand it. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. All have, right, have on to been, TT then. Yeah, I was going to say, have you been following the TT at all? A little bit. So I saw a few of the results today. You know better than I, though. So. A lot of, well, so. Unfortunately, death is what I. Well, this is something that, so let's, let's, let's. How do we want to track this? Because I, I do want to talk about this. This is an interesting thing for me. 
Um, We've been talking about it for years. I'm always interested to get your take on it. Yeah. Because you're like, this thing is not going to be around that long because the people keep dying. And I'm like, uh, oh, I don't, I don't know if I'm a part of that camp, but it's interesting for me. So I've been to the TT a few times and I've been to Pikes Peak a few times. And, and the thing that I keep taking away from them, well, there's a couple things, but one of them is just there's very few races or events where I can go to where I know someone's going to die. And it's really interesting. I, I know as, as uh, an American journalist, there's not that many American journalists, at least in my generation of them, uh, motorcycle journalists that have gone to the TT and even probably the same amount of number that have gone to Pikes Peak. But it is a weird thing when you go to a race where you know someone's going to die, like statistically speaking. Yeah, sure. Now, statistically speaking, Pikes Peak is, has had a great track record with fatalities. But if you look at just the last five years or so, like that's ratcheting up. They're, now that it's paved, yeah. we're seeing fatalities almost every year. And that's going to be a huge issue. And I don't know if Pikes Peak will be around for much longer because, or at least I don't know if the bikes will be around at Pikes Peak for much longer. I think that's eventually going to get to a tipping point where they say, hey, this is just too dangerous for bikes. This is too much of a liability. If we want this race to continue, and and it's, you know, it's 90 plus years of history. It's the longest running, or it's the second longest running motorsport race in the United States. The Indy 500 being the only thing that's been been going longer. That's that's still yeah. around, the continuously going, I should say. Sure. Um, I, think, I think the bikes have less than five years left in them, as, especially as you see brands like we just saw ducatis coming in this year and they've got you know carlin and you know they're getting more serious and you're seeing ktm come in and all these other brands are bringing like their their riders as the as the level of riders go up which means the lap times are going down which means someone's going to end up hitting a rock face at some point sure uh the tt i think has weathered the storm and statistically speaking two people die at the tt every year and sure enough here we are on tuesday uh, of race week and we've already seen two fatalities uh, unfortunately, Dan, Dan Keen and, and Adam Lyon, uh, both passed away and, and that's tough, but that's one of those, that's one of those realities of, of these races. And it's, and it's, it's a tough one to, to take as, as a journalist to know that you're going to go and, and have to report someone's death. Um, and I think it's even harder for the racers when they know like, Hey, this is infinite timeline. Like some of you guys just aren't going to be here at the end of it. Uh, it's an interesting thing. It's it's sombering in a, in a way, and it's not something that we're accustomed to. But it's also kind of what this is kind of morbid, but it's kind of what makes these races so sure, so iconic and so you know lurid to our our attention. Yeah, sorry, but that's the way it is. I mean, if you you can only do so much to make it safer, you see the the Formula One races from the late sixties, early seventies. It was a bloodbath it was horrible really bad and and grotesquely bad and it took some major things to change the safety for them to do that but the motorcycle side this side of having different gear a little bit here and there there's really not much you can do fixed objects 136 mile an hour 134 134 average 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 lap i mean that's the thing they they just broke the 134 barrier this year we've had a couple riders do it we saw it we saw it in the super stock race too. That's the thing that's really impressive. <laughs> you know, know Peter that. Hickman comes in and drops a one thirty four, and you're just like, "This is basically super stock." At the TT is pretty stock. Yeah, you know, sure um, doesn't surprise me, but it's still an, of note. Yeah, it's fast and it's dangerous, and that's the deal. And that's why there's a I don't know that that's it's profound because of that for sure. I agree with that. 
Do I mind? Oh, so I think it's horrible, but at the same time, I would never want to call it off. These people know what they're doing. Dan's family knew damn well what he was doing. Everybody knows what they're he, doing. He lived on the Isle of Man, so he grew yeah, up with it. So sorry, that's, that's but one that's of those deals. But that's and that's a part of where I don't think the TT is going to go away anytime soon because it's such a part of that that island's culture. Yeah, and you know that's just that's a part of it. it it's like saying like people will stop climbing Everest. Because people die on it every year. Sure. Okay. Well, like, if, you, well, you're, if you're, like, you're likening like, it to that, then that's a big cause, deal. Because right? that's what I think it's like. Because at the end of the day, it's like, well, no one's forcing you to race, but it's that same thing of like the reason people go climb Mount Everest, the reason it's one of the the I think the seven summits that they call it, is because it's so hard. Because you are risking your life. If it was just like climbing up a jungle gym, it wouldn't be worthwhile and we wouldn't be here talking about it. So you can't take one element away and expect it to to maintain its its yeah. its validity or whatever you sure. wanted its consistency. I don't know. It's but it is tough. But this has been this has been an interesting year. We're seeing records drop. Um it seems trite to talk about the weather, but the weather plays a huge factor in in the yeah, TT sure. because it's especially if it's warm and sunny during practice week. So they get a a lot of sessions because what, what happens is the TT is very susceptible to a, what they call the mist, which is basically fog, especially on the mountain section. It gets fogged in. There's no visibility. It means the helicopter can't fly, which means it's not safe to race and they just, they'll cancel sessions. No problem. So having clear days means a lot more practice time, which means a lot more setup time. This has been perfect weather. I think there was one day they, um, uh, I think it was actually race day for Superbike. They delayed things a couple hours because of the mist. But that's it. But, Everyone's getting their sessions in, a lot of time to set up the bikes, a lot of time to hone in. Obviously, the machinery is getting faster, the tires are getting better, the the fuel and all these things are constantly evolving. So no surprise that we're seeing sub-17 minute laps, that we're seeing 134 mile an hour averages. Uh, Michael Dunlop's going super fast, Dean Harrison's going super fast, Peter Hickman's going super fast. Uh, Dunlop got beat, though, in one, one of the races, right? Yeah, he had a mechanical, though. Ah, I didn't know that. Okay. Or do you have a mechanical? I did, it didn't look like it. Superbike race. No, he won. He won the superbike. He won this. Oh yeah. So he won the superbike TT, but because the other riders Hickman and and Harrison had mechanical failures. Huh. So I wouldn't say he was he was the fastest rider. I mean, who who knows? Yeah. Over sure. six laps. Okay. And that and definitely having longevity and having the reliability is a part of it. Yeah. Um. But you know, it wasn't like he was leading the guys behind him fell out of it. You know, he he inherited first yeah. place. Okay. But he's going super fast. He's I think got seventeen or eighteen TT wins at this point. Yeah. Uh, of our recording, and um, I think you can definitely count on one or two more before the end of the fortnight. He's knocking on John McGinnis's uh, tally, which means he's knocking on his uncle's tally, uh, Joey Dunlop, and. Michael's a young lad. I think he's got a lot more TTs in him, and he's uh, in on his form, and he's racking up wins each year. And, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, that being said, Dina Harrison and Peter Hickman are, are definitely coming in as talents. I think next year and the years after that, they're going to start robbing yeah. Michael Dunlop of, of more obvious wins. And I don't think John McGinnis is ever going to really get back to his pace. How, how are the Norton things going? Uh, they're going all right. Not nah. they're not doing it. It's him and who else? Isn't he on? No. No, the Norton this year is Josh Brooks. Yeah. Uh, John no. McGinnis was supposed to be on, but he's not racing because he's just no, right. like okay. so um And they're just whatever. Not doing great. They are what they are. Yeah. 
It's very descriptive. I, I, well, I mean, they've, I mean, they, to be fair, like the Nortons have improved dramatically each year. It's always impressive each year to see how much better they've gotten. The but Chrome it's, gets deeper. It's, it's slow to develop. It's not. I mean, Norton's not a huge company. They don't have a huge. Are they effort. finally off the RSV4 engine and onto their own architecture? I don't know what their race engine is. I know the bike that they sell that's supposed to be based off the race bike is their own engine. It's a 1200 cc V4. Huh. Um, but I don't think that's superbike legal. But yeah. knowing the TT, you know. It's all British secret handshake stuff. They could make that happen if they wanted to. I haven't I haven't looked closely enough at the Okay, fair enough. This iteration. But in previous generations it was an RSV4 motor. Yeah. Yeah. With a straight pipe that sounded wicked and loud and crazy. But yeah, it's been a good TT Fortnite. Hopefully uh, everyone stays safe throughout the rest of it and um the racing's good and and you know, I'll be interested to see I will say it's been really hard to get excited about the TT Zero race this year. Uh, the Mugen bikes haven't been that quick. They've had a couple sessions uh, canceled. They had some parts issues. They are like literally the only team. Everyone they're doing. I think Rudder did a one sixteen, yeah. which is not close to what the lap record they is. They wanted to go for twenty. They want to break the one twenty, and I don't know if they're there for it. Um, I mean, anything can happen. Um, they're going to race tomorrow, so you know yeah. by this podcast, the result will already be or to be out there they could do it but you would rather see them getting closer to it and the rest of the teams are like down like i think one other team's it might even be um lee johnston on the other mugen who's doing a 108 and then everyone else is sub 100 yeah that's too bad and there's only like five or six entries and you're just like man yeah it's really sad to, to see that kind of like falling away um because i've always been a big proponent of that race there but Another manufacturer needs to get involved in this. Truthfully, like two or three need to get involved and yeah, make it, and make make it interesting it again. Sure. Uh, without without competition, it's just it's going to die. And I, I really don't see that race lasting. I mean, truthfully, if they did it next year, I'd be surprised. Yeah. And, and the year after that, I'd be really surprised without something of note changing. On the other end of the electric continuum, uh, the Alta with Ty Tremaine ended up getting to the eighth section of Erzberg. So there's 25 sections. It took a while to figure this out, but I was able to download the the data. Got to the eighth, and I don't know where the battery swap was going to happen, but it wasn't long. And apparently they just didn't. There's a lot. Watching the race, I got, this is the first year I've actually sat and watched. It's I think you guys were going to swap batteries at what's called the machine. Is that what that deal was? You're <laughs> yeah, right. They got these little names. Yeah, right, I know. There's a lot of interesting names, and watching it was great. It's a actually worthwhile thing if you have a chance to go to the Erzberg Rodeo website and then watch the full, like, like four hour thing. I I skipped through it as much as I could, but it's a pretty interesting dynamic. Um, there there wasn't any video of Ty doing the deal, but uh, it's cool that if you look at where Ty's name is, which is the first name at checkpoint eight. And how many people are below him who either didn't make any of the, you know, didn't get any further? I mean, it's hundreds. It's, it's well over 100 riders. Yeah. So that's kind of cool to know, all right, first time out, we didn't make it. But now we have a lot of data and the engineering team can make some big decisions on, especially I, for me, this is good because I know this will affect future architecture because they're like, we want to win this. We want to we want to get out there and finish that. We want to finish it, right? So if we can do that, and if it's with a battery swap, fair enough. It's got to be with a battery swap. Then, but if we can... Eh, I don't know. I'm not going to give that one to you because that's just like Formula Formula E. Like, oh, we're going to sw- we're gonna swap cars. 
I'm going to swap battery packs. Yeah, it's just like filling up a gas tank to me. So the, some of the guys didn't. And it was interesting to watch Billy Bolt, I think, go by his fuel rig and then have to go back to it later on. It was a really strange thing. And I'd love to know what happened. But in the race, there's two people that are near each other. And I think it was Billy Bolt that ended up going by while the other person's getting fueled up, inherits the lead, but then gets jammed up. And it's like, hmm, I wonder what kind of strategy was going on there, right? Hmm. So all of it is part of the deal. But I'm I'm stoked that they tried and I'm hopefully that they'll be able to do another similar thing somewhere sometime. But that Erzberg deal is no BS. No, it's not easy. It doesn't have it's <laughs> interesting. We we're talking about death and dismemberment. Like that race is dangerous in that you you're lots of broken bones and contusions and stuff. Like Cody Webb got fucked up like in the prologue, but fast. Super fast, bad crash. But the fear of death isn't there because it's like you'd have to be doing something very extreme to fall off one of the cliffs or something. Right. Other than that, it's just crashing dirt bikes in rocks and gnarly the, the, mangling shit. Yeah, the danger of it isn't really that far outside the envelope of standard motorcycle no. danger. Yeah. I'm going to make that a thing. SMD, Jensen Standard Motorcycle. <laughs> yeah, um, right. Your standard SMD factor is more or less one. But it's it's called the mo- the single the most difficult single day motorcycle race in the world because it is just so hard. Like yeah, you're gonna go over boulders and you're gonna be in so brutal, crazy single track that oh, you know man. rooted and rutted and muddy and wet and oh, shitty and and the angles the oh my yeah and you're gonna go just up these faces so it's just physically very very demanding and hard. But yeah, you might get a broken bone, you might get a concussion, but the fear unless you really you know, standard motorcycle danger yeah. factor and like fall off a cliff or crash a bike doing, you know, 50 miles an hour and you hit yeah. a rock or whatever. Yeah. Whereas the Baja 500 or 1000, easily. Fuck that noise. I, I give that right. an SMD of at least five. That's bad. So it's interesting. They're thinking about it relative to that, that some of these races, the profundity is different at different scales. But there's a big thing with watching Graham Jarvis, this 43-year-old dude. If you don't follow Graham Jarvis on social media, you should just to see the pure physicality of this guy. It's unreal. Watching him at the crux point of this race, and I can't remember the name, it's in the woods, and a bunch of people got jammed up in the woods. And he had this, He didn't make it all the way up, and he had to push his bike. But just watching him push his bike with the engine running and and using the bike's power to, to ease up the cliff instead of digging big old trenches with the rear tire he just eased the thing up watching him use his body to push it up fucking impressive and you could see why he won the race because that's where he won it he won it not just with his riding skills because he would made up so much time in that i don't know if it was like cliff's diner or something like that there's this rock garden that's unreal like you can't you have to watch it it's It's a boulder wash oh my god it's so bizarre to see these guys do the thing i'm like and and i've done enough dirt biking to kind of understand oh my gosh you just look at all the broken ankle horrible like oh it just makes me cringe thinking about shoulders and wrists and yeah but anyway he did he gets right through it with a plumb then he gets up on this thing and yeah he has to walk his bike up a deal but he does it well and he does it quickly and he's efficient at it and that's that so really neat i'd recommend watching that for sure yeah it's gnarly it's gnarly thing it's cool i love the photos that come out of it we'll run uh, a couple galleries probably. On you the should site. do. I can't. I would like to always, go. They're always. I'm um, hopefully we go next year, and I'm going to put my name in the hat to go. I'd like to be one of the people that's there because it looked like the team had a lot of fun, and it was a good team building exercise for the Alta 
the whole crew. And, you know, well, who knows what would have happened if Lyndon Poskett's bikes didn't get stolen in England. Um, then perhaps they would they have had nicked. a different strategy. Oh, yeah, nicked. Ugh, maybe the strategy would be different. So that's that. Yeah. Mm, it was interesting you brought up a uh, uh, battery design or something because one of the things that came out of the news this week is Panasonic, who's a major cell provider. You guys don't run Panasonic. Panasonic Can't talk yet. about it. It's just us. Nope. It's just us. it's just you and I talking. Yeah, here. stop it. Um, but they're they're a major supplier. They supply Tesla and they build um, batteries uh, for the Model Three at um, Tesla's Gigafactory branding uh, in Nevada. But the big thing is that they're going to try and start reducing how much cobalt is in their their architecture, and that's one of the big things that that is actually adding to the cost to to battery design because cobalt's easy to get. Well, it's not really because oh. it's it's like lithium and cobalt are kind of the rate limiters in terms of battery design or sourcing, I should say. The way you were phrasing it made it sound like the cobalt was the cheap thing, but it's not. No, it's not. Okay. No, it's um, we could go down a whole a whole thing, but it's a part of the cathode, and it's it's one of the things that is making batteries so expensive. It's not just lithium. Actually, lithium's easier. We have a lot more lithium in the ground. Then we do cobalt. And a lot of the cobalt comes from the DRC, um, D- Democratic Republic of uh, the Congo. And they have like 40 or 60%, almost 50% of the world's known supply. Interesting. Um, but it's one of those things like that's that's the new that's the new oil. That's the new war is who's got the cobalt, who's going to be able to get it and, and it's control It's all about it. miners, right? It's all about miners. There's so many little kids in Africa that are hungry. You make the joke, but it actually is little kids that are digging I the know, cobalt out of the earth. They're miners. They're, they're minor miners. They're miners. <laughs> These miners it. are miners. We just want. It was. We just did the turducken, turducken of evil fucking yeah, jokes. That's oh. just. Uh, I felt a little piece of me dying there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know how to get it recover. But hey, yeah, at least th- it's not blood diamonds. But anyways, like there's, it's like blood diamonds. So it that's, is. It's is blood it batteries, bad? basically. Ugh. Um. But but. Finding a way to use less cobalt in the battery is a huge thing in terms of sure. reducing cost and reducing, um, um, you know, ultimate price of, of vehicles and things like that. So it's interesting to see that Panasonic was was getting on the train. How much of that is is reality, and how much of that is just you know marketing to help the stock price? Well, yeah, wait and see. Be curious to see what they replace it with. You can use other metals. Use you need, you need another transition metal. So like, there's a lot of talk about aluminum. Since we already have a lot of aluminum, but then there's always like something, something's got to go in there or yeah. you have to abandon a lithium ion battery architecture completely. I can't comment, but it'll be interesting to see how it goes down for sure. Yeah. Yeah. We'll talk offline. Mm-hmm. I'll get the scoop. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> One thing's for sure. They're all going to have kickstand. I'm not so sure about that, Quentin. I'm not so sure. I'm sure of it. I think, I think you Some should start. Some of them will start, still have kickstands. You need to start hoarding kickstands because... <laughs> In the future, I think that's going to be the new currency. I have like seven or eight. I yeah. do. I think uh-huh. you should hold on. That's that's going to be better. Different than Different lengths. I gotta have. I'm gonna have to go get a dirt bike one just on general principles. Just, just as in long case. As, yeah. 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 <laughs> gotta have long kickstands. All right. We'll put them up. Kickstands there. Right, Good talk. See you out there later. Uh, what else you want to talk about, sir? We got maybe one more topic in us. Yeah, for sure. What do you got? You want to talk about that BMW thing? You want to talk yeah. about Zero's logo? I have written down bug out gear. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> we were talking about the... We'll do that just because it'll be interesting. It'll be a good rabbit hole. See where it goes. <laughs> well, we were. I was talking with somebody recently. Well, well, before we go further, do you have do you have a bug out plan? No, not a little bit. Okay, I got one. I'm not gonna tell you.